Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Investigate beautifully detailed scenes of the 1920s, finding out what happened to her or your in the game, sister. With hundreds of mind-teasing puzzles, the next clue is always within reach. Search for hidden objects from the parlours of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. Each chapter uncovers a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles for you to solve, and I've had a lot of fun. Currently on chapter 7, making progress little by little, tapping away on my phone to get all the puzzle pieces in place. While searching for the murderer, or whatever happened to your sister, you get to decorate your own island with gardens and buildings and chat and play with other Others by joining a detective club. It's a lot of fun and very social. I play while I'm on the train. It keeps me active between my journeys to London and I love the time limits that are pushing me to find those clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. There's this great catastrophe looming. If he's extradited, Julian will lose his life. I don't think that he will survive it. He asked me in the beginning to say my relationship to him, well, I'm his wife. Well, we became romantically involved in 2015. And he was in the embassy for seven years. So it was very unusual circumstances to uh, meet your partner and husband during the time that the CIA under Mike Pompeo was plotting to assassinate him. Wow. It just seems like an entire country, potentially the most powerful country in the world, has gone after, with all of their weight, one person for like over a decade now. There was no longer any denying that Julian was being persecuted for his publishing. Anyone who thinks that Epstein committed suicide is naive. He is at real risk of assassination in custody. This isn't some paranoid fantasy. He has an appeal. It is what we've been calling Day X because it is very likely going to be the final hearing for Julian. So it looks pretty dark. If he is extradited, what do you fear will happen to Julian in the States? Um... Welcome to another episode of Heretics. Today is an important one because Julian Assange in just a few days, well, on the 20th and 21st of February, is in court once again. It's his final chance to escape extradition to the US, where it is believed by his wife, today's guest, Stella Assange, he will be murdered by the CIA. She has good reason to believe that as well. Now, Julian is the founder of WikiLeaks. They were the people who published secrets about the military in the US. Uh, including a lot about torture and Guantanamo Bay and a lot of different people were implicated. Some people believe that he gave away top secrets which meant that he was endangering their lives and he needed to be made an example of. But as Stella says, this is one of those cases that unites the right and the left and much of the centre because I think a lot of people are in Julian's camp here. He didn't do the hacking in this particular case. He just um, put out, published some information that many people believe we have a right to know. It's a real freedom of press, freedom of information situation. And it's getting scary. Stella, of course, has children with Julian and she really she really feels this is coming to the end. If you want to help, do turn up at the court hearing on the 20th and 21st of February um, and follow Stella. Uh, there'll be links in the description. Please share this podcast with as many people as possible so they can hear the story of Julian Assange and what can be done. You're about to listen to Stella Assange on Heretics. Who is Julian Assange, just for those who don't know, and your relation to him? Well, Julian Assange is the most consequential publisher and journalist of our times. He's also the most significant and famous political prisoner um, in the world, happens to be a prisoner, political prisoner of the West. He is the founder and editor-in-chief for many years of WikiLeaks, an online media pr platform. He's Australian. Um, he originally was a co coder um, and a, uh, well, a technologist, I think you can say um, broadly, but specifically his expertise is cryptography and security. And uh, he has been held in 
high security prison here in London since the 11th of April 2019. And before that, he was under siege in the Ecuadorian embassy uh, because he had been given political asylum, all in relation to what he published. And what he published was about the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, the torture program during the Bush years, the basically a catalog about the Bush wars and the war on terror, so-called. Mm. And it was the information, a lot of it about Guantanamo Bay, I think, and as you say, the torture. Uh, he didn't actually do the hacking, did he? Well, um, no, not at all. He is a publisher. He received information from the source. In this case, it was Chelsea Manning. And in fact, she didn't hack anything either. She was a intelligence al analyst for the U.S. Army. She was based in Iraq at the time. Um, and she was reading these field reports on a daily basis, and she had to produce uh, analyses of these reports. And what she discovered was that this was a um, record of how the war was unwinnable, um, killing thousands and thousands of civilians that the U.S. Army wasn't admitting to, uh, that there was no direction to the war. And she became a whistleblower, and she looked for different media outlets to send the information to. Um, she tried the New York Times, she tried the Washington Post, they turned her down, and then she turned to WikiLeaks, and WikiLeaks published. And it is the most significant scoop, or series of scoops, in journalistic history. There's no denying the impact and the significance, the public interest of these documents. And is that the philosophical debate here? To what extent does the public have a right to know these things? And to what extent uh, does the army have a right or the military have a right to keep these things secret to, uh, so people aren't in harm's way? Um, I think it's been oversimplified into kind of to, to, to funnel the big discussion into this kind of false um, uh, either or. Mm -hmm. There is no dispute about the importance of what was in these documents. It revealed war crimes, it revealed um, the torture policies, it revealed you know, the specific instances in which 15,000 civilians had been killed in Iraq, which the US military claimed to never have records for. Um, it revealed details about um, kill squads in Afghanistan, and so on and so forth. And uh, when WikiLeaks published together with the New York Times, The Guardian, El País, and so on, um, these documents, they were uh, considered the most significant uh, shift in how journalism was, was made. Uh, it basically ushered in a completely new era for journalism. Before WikiLeaks, uh, there was the way uh, journalists worked worked was through you know text messaging and messaging their their sources, which by then was easily traceable by the authorities. Uh, Julian understood how the internet works, how surveillance works, um, and was able to create a um, encrypted Dropbox where you could receive information from sources without knowing and having no way to know. Um, who those sources were. And that enabled very high quality sources to go wow. out forward. And there are always whistleblowers. I mean, there are, there are institutions, there's corruption within institutions. Uh, there are the people who work there who in many cases disagree with, um, with what's going on in, inside um, these institutions, but can't, you know, can't afford to uh, lose their job or whatever. And this, this, technology enabled for the first time sources to be able to uh, leak uh, safely and anonymously. So that was a real uh, shift. And Julian and WikiLeaks and, and all the partner organizations as well won the highest journalistic prizes for publishing this stuff. There was uh, Julian, we just published something called the interactive map of... I, What's it called? Anyway, it's on julianassange.org. Check it out. It's like got all the awards and honorary memberships and all this stuff that, that Julian has won as a result of his journalism. And it's on 
unmatched by, I think, any journalist in the world. Um, he's won the equivalent of the Pulitzer Prize in Australia, Australia sorry, um, the Walkley Award for most outstanding con uh, contribution to journalism. So the U.S. Um, government at the time was extremely upset about these publications because uh, it reopened the debate about the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, it exposed, um, for example, Hillary Clinton uh, ordering her diplomats to get uh, um, fingerprints and so on of of uh, ambassadors in the UN building in New York. You know, it was it was very embarrassing stuff. Um, and the spin that came from the Pentagon was uh, that it put lives at risk. And that spin is is a spin that has endured this whole time, even though it's been um, refuted and and uh, shown to be complete uh, and utter uh, nonsense again and again and again. Uh, the U.S., in fact, when it comes to trial, when it comes to um, court hearings and has to make statements under oath, it admits it hasn't found a single instance in which a person has come to harm as a result of the publications. But it's kind of a, a very broad brush to be able to say, oh, this is dangerous. And to give the um, message that information is dangerous and that the public has to be protected from information, um, even if it's true, uh, you're, you're not... Uh, entitled to the truth because we know better. You know, that's that's the uh, message. Mm. And, and it's also a way to distract from what's actually in the documents, actual uh, right. crimes being com committed, assassinations, you know, uh, innocent people being killed in their tens of thousands and so on, torture. Um, it's a way to change the... Mm -hmm. the uh, the topic. Yeah, Julian became the story rather than the embarrassment of horrible things that they had been exposed as doing. Um, before going further into the legality of, of everything, um, I, I want to ask about the personal side. So how did you come to, what is your personal background and how did you come to meet Julian? Well, you asked me in the beginning to say my relationship to him. Well, I'm his wife um, now. I, I, I started... Um, in 2011, as part of his legal team, I was brought in. He was already under house arrest at the time. Um, I am a Swedish speaker. Uh, I, I lived in Sweden for seven years, went to school there. And so I was brought in while this uh, sex case was going on in Sweden, which was dropped. He was never charged, etc. Uh, but I was brought in as a kind of a bridge to, to uh, understanding the both the, the legal aspects and the kind of um, social dynamic around this case, because it was a political case. It is a political case when it comes to Julian, of course, um, in every respect. And uh, Julian was, as I said, under house arrest. Uh, the following year, he went into the Ecuadorian embassy, claimed asylum, received it. Uh, and eventually, we... Well, we became romantically involved in 2015, and he was in the embassy for seven years. So it was very, it was a very, you know, unusual circumstances to uh, meet your partner um, and husband. But uh, it also was um, it was a, a very intense. Um, space to be in because Julian wasn't allowed out of the embassy. The embassy was only, you know, it was a it was an apartment in Knightsbridge, right next to Harrods. Um, it's next to the Colombian embassy, so it's not even the whole floor. It's half of the floor, um, about seven rooms, I think, right or eight. And he wasn't allowed out of this space, and there was no no um, outside. There's no garden or anything like that. It's you know, it's a, it's a London apartment on the ground floor of a building next to Harrods, and that became the most surveilled um, place in the world, according to some reports. Um, it was just surrounded by intelligence agencies of of various um, of various uh, countries uh, because 
Julian continued to publish, or WikiLeaks continued to publish while while Julian was still in the embassy. And uh, there was a the position of the UK government was that um, if he stepped out, he would be arrested on behalf of the Swedes. Yeah. But then when the Swedes dropped the case in 2017, initially, because they dropped it four times, but um, the the penultimate time that they dropped it in 2017, then um, they said, well, we're, we're going to arrest you because um, even though the case no longer exists or the preliminary investigation for which he was never charged doesn't exist, um, you failed to surrender. And so we'll oh. arrest you anyway. And this is a, this is a, um, a clause in the Bail Act, which is rarely enforced. If it is, um, it's usually just a fine. Uh, but they were hell-bent on arresting him. And so what we learned afterwards, after his arrest, uh, was that the U.S. had, in fact, put in a, an arrest warrant for him secretly. And, of course, the British courts were aware of this. Publicly, um, U.K. authorities were saying, oh, it's all about a, a, a Bail Act um, arrest warrant. Privately... They were holding, they, they had in their possession a U.S. warrant that was issued in December 2017. So about a year and a half before his actual arrest. Right. Um, and the British public was, was completely deceived, you know, because there was this narrative going around that, oh, Julian's just paranoid. The U.S. doesn't want to arrest him. He's just, you know, hiding in the embassy. Um, there's, there was even an article out in the Guardian saying the only thing that stops Assange from leaving the embassy is his pride. Um, and this was in the middle of uh, not just an arrest warrant issued by the US uh, within the um, British court system, but also we later found out um, during the time that the CIA under Mike Pompeo was plotting to assassinate him. Wow. Okay, this that's a lot to take in. This is this this is why this is such a captivating story, and also, it just seems like an entire country, potentially the most powerful country in the world, has gone after with all of their weight one person for like over a decade now. Um, the the Swedish part that you spoke about, this was in relation to two Swedish women, I believe, who accused Julian of manipulating the condom or something during sexual acts, and then he was completely cleared of that. What did that feel like for you the moment he was cleared? Well, I mean, let me go back a bit because uh, without, I mean, I always find that talking about the Swedish preliminary investigation is kind of a waste of time because it, it again, it takes time away from the actual case that, that which he is charged for, which is publishing. Um, but the thing is that Julian was never charged so he was never formally accused it it, it enabled uh, both the swedish prosecution and the uk authorities to treat him like a suspected criminal but formally he was never a suspected criminal he was um he hadn't even reached the thresh threshold of a charge and once you understand that you understand how extraordinarily um dodgy the swedish case was because imagine this this was, as you said, um, a sex case. Uh, in fact, the text messages that, that uh, were never publicly released, but were, um, well, they were, in a way, they were publicly released eventually, but um, they, they revealed that these, these uh, two uh, individuals, these uh, Swedish uh, women, according to their own text messages, were saying, oh, I don't want to accuse Julian of anything, the police want to get him. And of course, the context of this is that WikiLeaks had just published uh, the Afghan war diaries and was about to publish the Iraq war logs and the diplomatic cables. And Julian was, you know, doing press conferences all around the world with the world's press, you know, uh, maximum attention from the world's press saying there's more coming. And at the time, The Atlantic reported, before he even went to Sweden, because he was there for a conference, that the US State Department was telling its allies to find a way to arrest him. 
And this was a week before he went to Sweden. And then he went to Sweden and um, they issued an arrest warrant. He answered, he, he was interrogated once. They let, they didn't do anything. He stayed in Sweden for five weeks. And then he said, can I go? I have work to do. They said, fine. The prosecutor said, fine, you can leave. Um, he publishes the Iraq war logs and then uh, they issue an international arrest warrant, um, start the extradition proceedings and and so on. So from beginning to end, between 2010 when it was opened and 2019 when it finished for the fourth time, um, he was not never formally charged. So he was never a, um, able to be formally cleared because he was never formally charged, even though everyone acted like he was. Uh, so, you know, at the the one thing I would say is that at least it 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 revealed what the the true game was all along when the Swedish preliminary investigation ended for good, because um, there was no longer any denying that Julian was being persecuted for his publishing, and. The U.S. government under Donald Trump, which is the one that brought the charges, made this explicit. Um, he is charged under the Espionage Act, um, 17 charges for receiving, possessing, and communicating information that he received from Chelsea Manning, the whistleblower. Hmm. And he has an appeal coming up in the next few weeks. What does that mean to you? Um... Well, an appeal sounds more promising than than the real situation, which is, um, so Julian has been fighting extradition since 2019. He initially won because the UK courts agreed that if he's sent to the United States, he would be put under conditions that would drive him to commit suicide. And then after that, we found out about this Pompeo plot to assassinate him and so on. And uh, it's it's really frankly astounding that the UK courts are still considering an extradition when you have um, very credible reports. I, in fact, they haven't been, they've, they've basically been um, confirmed by Pompeo himself, that the person facing extradition has been the victim of a, of a murder plot by the country that's trying to extradite him. All right, so back to... Um, this uh, hearing that's coming up. Yes, it's on the 20th and the 21st of February. It is uh, what we've been calling Day X um, because it is very likely going to be the final hearing for Julian. The High Court has refused permission to appeal. That's where things stand. Uh, so even though you have Amnesty International and, you know, the Committee to Protect Journalists and the National Union of Journalists and and every single human rights and press freedom organization you can think of, plus The Guardian and even The Telegraph and The Washington Post and New York Times editorializing saying this case is a grave danger to press freedom. It is a global threat to press freedom and it should be dropped and he should be released and all these things. In spite of all of this, how can you explain that the High Court doesn't even want to hear his appeal? Um, I can't explain it. Uh, well, I can. It's political. It's uncomfortable. And um, and if this were a legal case, as we understand, um, you know, the justice system should operate uh, to serve uh, uh, legal and law enforcement purposes, not political purposes then this case would never have been brought. Julian would not have spent a single day in prison. Um, but this is where we are. So the high court refused per permission to appeal. There's still a final thing one can do, which is what we're doing now, which is to ask two separate high court judges to review the decision, to say they agree or disagree. If they disagree, that's the end of the road for the British um, appeals here. You can't go to the Supreme Court that's it. Of course, we're hoping that uh, this panel will will see um, will take the 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 rational and uh, the only 
right decision, which would be to reopen the case. But um, statistically, that's difficult. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what will happen next. Basically, he he could be extradited within a matter of. Well, we don't know. It's a national security case. So in other cases, they've 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 just um, extradited within a matter of hours from this country. Um, normally, it wouldn't be that. It would be uh, weeks. But it's just so unpredictable when it comes to Julian. So it looks pretty dark. But um, the political support for Julian is huge. I mean, it's really a global movement. It's it's from across the political spectrum. Yeah. It's highly unusual in our times, you know, everything's so polarized. But I find that I'm, I have support from, from every corner of politics, except perhaps the, the extreme center is a little bit difficult, but um, <laughs> there are even supporters there. Uh, and, in no other case do you have like the the grassroots support as well as, for example, um, uh, the president of Brazil in in at the UN General Assembly calling for Julian's release and getting a spontaneous applause from the world's leaders. Um, it's a case that is often used to talk about Western hypocrisy very effectively. It's also a case that is used by um, authoritarian governments to justify putting journalists and dissidents in prison. Well, you know, let's talk about Assange. That's their answer when they're, when they're asked about journalists in prison or, uh, you know, critics in prison and so on. Like, mm. you know, it's, it, and, and it's impossible to defeat that argument because the, the, the West has departed from its principles in this case uh, so, so extremely. If he is extradited, what do you fear will happen to Julian in the States? Well, I don't think it's far-fetched to uh, believe that he is at real risk of assassination in custody. Um, anyone who thinks that Epstein committed suicide is naive. Um, and uh, this is, in Julian's case, this is a case in which the Central Intelligence Agency had the, um, was engaged in developing plans to, to kill Julian while he was inside the embassy. So it's not, um, this isn't some, some paranoid fantasy. Uh, there was a report that came out in, October, I think, 2021. And it was written by three national security reporters in Washington. And these are not, you know, WikiLeaks fans or anything like that. They're national security reporters with their um, intelligence agency sources who, who they keep sweet. You know, these are, these are, uh, yeah, not, not the type of people who, um, Let's just put it this way: that they're 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 um, pretty critical of of Julian and WikiLeaks, um, although some of that might be performative because they want to keep their sources sweet. But they also understand the serious threat that the case against Julian poses to their own work because they're dealing with classified information all the time. In fact, journalists working for all the media, all the major media, unless they're doing like, um, you know, columns about about um, uh, you know social, what do they call them? Uh, in interest, um, social interest? No. Well, um, unless they're doing like uh, you know fashion or oh, yeah, if they're actually reporting and doing serious reporting, uh, then they're often reporting on information that the that the government doesn't want um, out there 
and in some cases, which they might call national defense information. Um, you open a, a newspaper and you have, uh, you know, a, an anonymous source in in government saying something critical of government. That's classified information, you know. So it, it happens all the time. Uh, so national security reporters are very acutely aware that the case against Julian sets a precedent that can put them in jail. Wow. And uh, so these three national security r reporters um, did a uh, 7,000 piece investigation with over 30 sources, some anonymous, some are named, very senior, senior people. And they said that during Pompeo's time as head of, CIA, of the CIA, this was under the Trump era, um, he had, he was obsessed. He was obsessed with Julian and WikiLeaks. Um, and in fact, made several, um, speeches about how he was going to bring WikiLeaks down. I mean, this is completely bizarre yeah. the, the CIA, um, uh, is, is vowing to take down a, a publisher. Um, and... So they were planting a lot of false uh, stories with the media, including in this country, very, uh, very embarrassingly for the Guardian and and others, um, which were shown to be completely false, um, and also as part of this attack on on WikiLeaks and Julian, it wasn't just fabricating stories in the press but also uh, finding ways to kidnap. Um, there were talks of renditioning him, and then there were talks of also um, assassinating him. And what's really extraordinary about Julian's story, uh, Julian's case, rather, is how much it gives a window into the the criminal and corrupt activities of these um, agencies. In addition to this report, there was also a another, uh, there's another front, let's say, which is in Spain. Um, the Spanish security company that was working inside the embassy was moonlighting for the CIA. So they're employed by the Ecuadorian embassy to provide security, but then actually they were getting instructions and gathering intelligence for the U.S. for, for the Pompeo CIA, basically, um, via a um, a third party called Las Vegas Sands, which was owned by anyway, this is really in the weeds, but <laughs> which was owned by Sheldon Adelson, Trump's biggest financial backer, right. um, and. So Las Vegas Sands was the was the um, client, um, but you look at Las Vegas Sands and um, it's uh, has very close relationship with the CIA, including in Macau, um, and that's documented in court cases, documented in court cases and so on. So anyway, the Spanish uh, company was spying on Julian and his lawyers, his legal meetings, recording his privileged. Uh, attorney-client privileged legal meetings where he was talking about his defense during a potential extradition battle and so on. Um, I mean, just think of it. like the, the country that's trying to extradite him is illegally recording his defense meetings with his, with his defense attorneys inside an embassy um, and, uh, and plotting to assassinate him, right? And then after his arrest several of the workers of the security company in Spain then went to El País, the, which is like the Times here in the UK. And they said, well, um, I, was, I was involved in a spying operation on Assange and his lawyers and his, and his family, the baby that came in and so on. Um, and I want to tell my story. And then uh, the police started investigating in Spain. They raided the, the um headquarters of the security company and seized terabytes of footage, documents of the product of their spying operations. They have a converse, these, these legal meetings with Julian 
on tape. Uh, they have instructions saying, you know, this is how you get a live feed, hide it from the Ecuadorian government, um, uh, obtain a DNA sample of Stella's child. Um, oh my God. And, you know, follow follow them and so on. They, it's all in, in being um, going to go to trial in Spain in probably this year. And that was the kind of operational implementation of the the CIA um, um, operation mm -hmm. uh, against Julian and WikiLeaks. And you never get an insight like this. That's why it's so fascinating. Even if you're like maybe not interested in the Iraq and Afghan wars, what this case and the persecution of Julian has revealed is... Um, just the lawlessness and the, yes, the hypocrisy. And, global and corruption. Global corruption and that when it comes to, when you really come up against the uh, interests of, of the certain sector of the state, um, the intelligence and security sector of the state, uh, it, it will just, um, break every law. It's not, it's not a rule of law when, when, when it comes to, um, the intelligence and security sector, it's about breaking the law. And they, the, th those sectors want to remain, um, shrouded in, in, uh, mystery and, uh, uh, they don't want any powers of oversight. And this is a new development. I mean, this is the thing when, when we're talking about secrecy and classified documents and, and so on, this is a recent phenomenon. There always used to be a presumption that the public has a right to know. Mm. Um, there was a presumption about openness. And if that openness was denied, um, that was a problem. And if it was denied, there was some kind of democratic uh, over oversight of of that denial, and what we learned through the diplomatic cables, for example, was that during the Bush wars, during the war on terror, all sorts of mechanisms were developed to bypass over oversight. So, for example, in Sweden, uh, when it came to um, extraordinary rendition flights, so CIA flights that were um, stopping over in Sweden and Ireland and and so on to refuel, having kidnapped. Um, uh, individuals without any uh, without any due process at all um, to be tortured in prisons in and so-called black sites in Afghanistan and Egypt and so on um, that the European countries would would like the government would um, have meetings with with the US government um, behind closed doors without any parliamentary scrutiny um, to avoid democratic process. And so secrecy can never be uh, a end in itself. Uh, the problem is that there has, uh, the argument has, has developed as if uh, the presumption has to be on secrecy. Yeah. Uh, but what happens, of course, is that governments overclassify and if they have this tool of and a presumption of secrecy, they will always seek to stick as much of their dealings inside that wall of secrecy. Um, which is scary. Which, of course, makes them even more corrupt and yeah. more untouchable. Julian is the father of your children. Um, he's your husband. And you speak of potential assassinations and extra extradition. Is that the word? Extradition? Yeah. Yeah. Extradition. How do you get through the day? How how does it make you feel to even talk about this now? It's a relief for me to be able to talk about it because the the worst period for me was when well, it's worst in maybe that's not right. Uh the most alienating period was when there was a kind of hazing 
exercise when it came to Julian, that he was he was paranoid, they're not after him, there's nothing going on here, you know. Um, it's all in his head, and then we would feel, we would see the harassment, the 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 surveillance, the um, you know, the the all the acts of of criminality and harassment against Julian and his extended network and family and so on. And there was there was no way of bridging that gap because it was like speaking to it was like two parallel realities. Um, and at least now, if I talk about the CIA plotting to assassinate Julian, um, although I had the sense that this was a real possibility while I was in the embassy, I couldn't prove it. Um, but then, since then, you've had, you know, independent reports by some, you know, three national security reporters in Washington um, with over 30 sources, you know, in the CIA and National Security Council and so on. You have the security company in Spain with the whistleblowers saying, yeah, we were talking about poisoning him. And um, and so everyone's kind of brought into the, the, the seriousness and the reality of what's going on. So you feel vindicated in that sense. But also worried, I imagine. Uh, well, I feel that uh, that the public is now confronted with the reality that um, of Julian's persecution and uh, all sorts of uh, you know um, all sorts of indirections were introduced in order to confuse the public. Uh, for a long time, because in a political case, you need political um, capital. That's why when you have a critic, uh, when you have someone who has public support or who has a whose voice matters, and it's an inconvenient voice, they go after your political capital. And that's what they do, did with Julian. And they couldn't impugn WikiLeaks because WikiLeaks had has a 100% record of accuracy. It publishes original source documents um, and it's never been a false document published even though um, many have been, there have been many attempts to trick WikiLeaks into publishing uh, fabricated documents. It's never happened uh, because there's, because of a strict verification um, protocol, but they went after Julian's character for years, for a decade before they actually finally arrested him. And um, this is the difficulty when when you know someone close when you have someone close to you who is a public figure and who is maligned and lied about and so on. It really, uh, it it really, um, it's extremely disturbing because uh, because it's like you, your sense of reality is is distorted because you 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 know that um, you want to say you know you've been deceived, but you can't really have how many of those conversations can you have? Yeah, it um, must it must have been so difficult. And how is it for him? How how he's now in, in Belmarsh prison, is he? Yeah, he's been in Belmarsh for almost five years. How does how is he day to day? And how often do you get to speak to him? Um, I get to speak to him daily, uh, unless there's some problem with the phone. And it must be hard to keep having things to talk about because even between husband and wife, you have shared experiences. Typically, oh, I went out and I did this and so on. Do you have that feeling of not wanting to say too much about if you've had a nice day or anything because he's having a difficult day? Sometimes, I mean, he's he's in a in a single cell for twenty, twenty two, twenty three hours a day. Sometimes, um, always more than twenty one. I mean, always more than twenty one day, twenty one hours a day um, in the cell. So he, he just, 
He's able to go to the yard for an hour, up to an hour a day. Sometimes he has visits um, where he's out of cell, but if he's out of cells, he might be in a holding cell for you know an hour and a half with nothing to do because they don't let him bring a book or a magazine or anything. So you're just to sit there and it's cold and it's just, it's a horrible, horrible place to deny you um, your sense of humanity, of individuality, of, of worth. Um, but Julian's a very resilient person and it's been very difficult at times when the isolation has been very bad. For example, during COVID, I wasn't able to see him in person for six months. Um, he couldn't see his lawyers either. And so it's been almost five years and it's very bizarre to think of it in those terms because for us, it's been a, con it's been a continuum from the embassy, you know, and there've been difficult periods and more difficult periods. Um, but we're part of each other's lives day to day, you know, and we speak throughout the day. He can call, um, not, not in the middle of the night. There are certain hours that he, he can call. Um, and the calls are only 10 minutes at a time. So it's very, very irritating when it cuts off because it, you don't think about it, but when you're having a conversation with a, with your partner or, or someone you know very well, a friend, 10 minutes in, it's great. And yeah. then it just cu cuts off. And, and then he has to wait a certain amount of time and then he can call back. So, and this is completely um, arbitrary and cruel to, to interrupt your, your communication with your family in this way. Um, and that it's been that way for years now. Uh, but he's, he reads a lot. Um, he's, um, he has a typewriter now. Okay. He, it took him a year to get a computer and the computer is issued by the Ministry of Justice. Uh, and it's just for him to be able to read to the, um, legal documents. And this is a complex case. So it has thousands and thousands of, of, legal documents, uh, pages of, of documentation and so on. And so the, the computer that they issued is a fancy PDF viewer. Mm -hmm. uh, it has obviously no internet, um, no text editing software, extremely bizarrely. Why would you, why would you remove that? Um, and then it has epoxy uh, in the in the USB ports and and some of the keys are also glued down and so on. But because he uh, requested it and then there was some um, letters from from some of the uh, journalist unions that he's that he belongs to, they finally allowed him to be to have a typewriter. So he has a typewriter and mm. he's been using it and that's that's helped. Mm. And yeah, so we're about less than a month away from this, uh, well, what is likely to be the final hearing in his case. And well, we're, we're focused on that and busy mobiliz mobilizing as much as possible and telling, you know, telling everyone to, to speak out and, and come and, and show their support. How has this impacted upon your mental health? Uh, well, I don't, I don't know the full of extent of it and, um, I'm, I'm very worried about Julian and I think I've, it's been very difficult at times and, and, um, because it's, it's kind of a constant. Like there's this this great uh, catastrophe looming if he's extradited. If he's extradited, Julian will lo lose his life. I don't think that he will survive it. And I have good reason to say that. And then there's kind of the... I can't believe that we're even here, you know, that he, that he's 
even that he has been in a prison for so long, that he's even in a prison. Um, you know, that's not what prisons are for. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I think that I'll know in the longer term what the impact is. I, I've tried not to get too focused on on how I'm feeling and just try to, you know, because I need all my efforts to be on trying to free Julian and trying to form alliances and get more more people to understand what's at stake and what has happened here. Um, because the strategy has been to try to isolate Julian, to deceive the public, um, to to pretend like this this is something that just concerns him, whereas in reality it is an attack on the public's right to know the truth and the most s significant truths um, that that we as a public can 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 hope for. Um, the foundations of you know like a. a, a what reality is basically if we if we can't agree on what reality is what's happened what the truth is then how can we possibly you know vote in an informed manner or or push for a certain reform or yeah, i mean it's kind of formulating in policy ways but but it, it's much more fundamental than that and there's there's a sense that there's kind of a a, a war on tr truth in general and uh, a breakdown that's coming out of that 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 I see it all as connected, that um, the kind of uh, fragmentation of reality, uh, it's kind of an effect on, on this denial of, of access to the truth. Do you daydream about a time where he's out and with you and the kids and living a normal family free life? And how can my viewers and I help to make that more realistic? I think there's a there's a a hopeful um, aspect, which is that this this case is is um, completely absurd. I mean, it's a concoction. It's it's spurious. It's an aberration, really, because it's criminalizing journalism. That's what it's doing. It's criminalizing the truth. It's it's criminalizing the public's right to know, and so on. And um, and so that means that uh, that is possible for it to uh, it's for uh, that means that it's extremely shaky and it has no legitimacy and um, that Julian is this close to freedom. Um, public awareness is really important. Uh, I think. Julian's case is fascinating. I mean, I, I'm not just saying it because he's my husband and because I want to free him. It's all I was telling you about the CIA's murder plots and the whistleblowers in mm -hmm. Spain, and then there's a court case and the Spanish police raiding the raiding the office of the security company and and you know hard drives with with Julian's legal meetings and illegal spying and all this stuff. And um, so, I'd say. Um, the most important thing is for people to follow this case and show up um, on the at the hearing if if they can, if they're nearby, or if they can get there. Hmm. Um, Where is it? The hearing will be at the Royal Courts of Justice on the twentieth, twentieth, and the twenty first of February, um, starting at eight thirty, both days. Uh, there will be a march after the second day uh, to the to Downing Street, and. It's about showing public support that the public is disgusted with what is being done, um, that the public is that it's not just Julian that is being um, who is under attack and imprisoned, but it's actually um, what he represents, which is the public's access to the, to information to the truth. Um, follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram. I'm on um, X. Um, Stella Assange. Stella underscore Assange on X, mm. um, and uh, 
read up. I mean, there's a lot of information out there about what I've been talking about. And um, if he's not extradited, that's a success. But then hmm. does he remain in Belmarsh prison? Well, uh, he's in Belmarsh without conviction. He's not even charged in the UK. This is mad. It's completely mad. He's just being uh, warehoused in the highest security prison in the land. Uh, and, you know, I emphasize for publishing the truth, you know, for, for, for doing exactly what uh, the journalists... Um, in big media organizations are doing on a daily basis. He's being made an example of in order to intimidate the press generally. And so um, if he if he loses, um, then either they'll extradite him or um, they'll keep him in that, that prison unless um, he gets bail. But the US is opposing bail and so far um, the UK courts has, have sided with the United States keeping him in, in prison. If he wins, he'll be released. Well, if he'll be released. Down down the road. I mean, if he wins this this round, that means there will be a full appeal and but, you know, the UK isn't keeping him for any other reason than a US extradition request, for which there is no conviction. Um but there is uh there is this absurd espionage act case that they've brought for the first time ever against a publisher and um you know it's it's just a it's antithetical to to what democracies liberal democracies um stand for you can't have a true democracy if you don't have the freedom to publish at, at this point, I usually ask for a heretic you admire. You don't have to say Julian, but uh, who is a heretic you admire? Um, well, I was thinking about this. Uh, my favorite heretic, of course, is Julian. Um, there's a there's a heretic, um, an Australian journalist whose name is Wilfred Burchett. I think Burchett. Uh, he was the one who revealed. So he was basically embedded with the with the Allied troops during the Second World War, hmm. and um, and he was with the U.S. troops in Japan, and then the U.S. bombed Hiroshima, and there was a an order to not go to Hiroshima, but he went anyway. In you know. Uh, in violation of this order, and he just went on his own. Uh, Thirty days after Hiroshima, the Hiroshima bomb dropped, and he published. Well, he he, um, I think it was for the a UK paper. He revealed um, the radiation fallout of the of the bomb because up until that point there was a cover up, and there was another guy, William Lawrence. He was working for the New York Times. And there's a New York Times front page saying, no radiation in Hiroshima after bomb. Um, and he was told to to basically uh, um, uh, counter Birchett. Birchill? Wilfred Birchett. Birchett, I think it is. Yeah. Um, and he was the, also being- <laughs> I'll put in the description whichever one it was. Yeah. Um, and this New York Times reporter was also being paid by the War Department at the time, so he was kind of doing a, a dual function. But I think this kind of highlights that Julian's role as a kind of um, the journalist telling inconvenient truths um, that affect national security. This is nothing new. And you had the the mainstream papers spinning the story covering it up, you know, getting instructions to to play down the 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 uncontrolled narrative. Um so it's not, you know, nothing of this is new. Uh but the tools that are being used to attack 
the independent journalist, the the um, the heretic, are a lot more sophisticated and severe. Julian's facing 175 years in in the U.S. for publishing, and he's not even American. He's Australian. He has nothing to do with the U.S. except that he revealed their crimes. Thank you, Stella Assange, for coming on the show. What a pleasure it was to talk to her. Wow. Wow, what uh, what an interesting person. She is a human rights lawyer, of course, herself. She has been helping her husband, Julian, and hopefully she will be able to stave off this extradition, which might lead to his death. I totally understand why she is concerned, of course. If you want to help, show up at her court hearing, his court hearing on the 20th and 21st of February, um, and go follow her on Twitter and Instagram. There are links in the description. Please do share this podcast podcast with as many people as possible that will be greatly appreciated and i hope you'll continue enjoying heretics <laughs>